The Short Game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Shane Kelly, and I'm joined today by my fabulous co-host, Lauren Ash. Jinx. Jinx. <laughs> we are gathered here today to discuss two games from all the way back in the year 2016, 2015, I guess, originally was released, and then 2016, it hit mobile and was probably my game of the year on mobile, although it was a really tough year. There was a lot of really great mobile games that came out. Of course, we're talking about Mini Metro and Mini Motorways. These are some games that I really wanted to talk about when they came out, but we never managed to find the time. And really, Laura, you were the big proponent for Mini Metro when we almost did an episode on it so many times over the years. These are games that are simulations. Mini Metro specifically is about public transit mapping, uh, where you are trying to balance the flow of uh, people trying to get to different places across different cities. Mini Motorways is the sequel, but not a sequel, as we'll talk about, where you deal with cars and streets rather than subway lines and bus lines. So the reason I really wanted to talk about this back in the day is because it's got a great balance of really easy accessibility. You can play the game and get it fast, but there are so many complications to the simulation and so many different variables that it's a very deep, rich game. But the individual sessions don't last too long. So if you get tired or you suck that day, you can always take a break. So I think it's right in the short game alley. We didn't talk about it because at the time, I think we had a lot of other narrative games going on and it was it's can be difficult to talk about simulation games without just getting into tips. So I'm really glad that many motorways came out so that we had an excuse to talk about the really interesting design, what works in which games and what doesn't. The games that came out that year that we were talking about, I think Crashlands was big. Crypt of the Necrodancer hit iOS that mm-hmm. year. There was Galaxy on Fire 3 was one that I really personally spent a lot of time with, although I don't know if we wound up talking about it. We really got into Human Resource Machine from that year. Oh, yeah. Was another really fun game. So it was a, it was a pretty thick year. Leap Day was another mobile game that, from a genre that I often don't like to play on mobile that really came in and had some interesting innovations in in terms of the gameplay. And then, of course, the biggest game of that year was Pokemon Go. Oh, yeah. Another one we never did an episode on that I played for a very long time. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Oh, Severed. Uh, I'm looking at a list right now of all the games that came out for iOS that year. And it really... It makes me sad. <laughs> blows me away. Super Mario Run. I'm going to stop listing them. So it, um, it makes me sad when you talk about all these great uh, 2016 games because yeah. there was a bit of a dry spell after that. So Yeah, it, it really is nice to look back at the mid-2000s mobile scene because that was when it was really, really good, I think. But Mini Motorways, I liked at the time, but over time, I have really continued to kind of grow my love for it because or mini it metro. is this sort of mini metro. I'm going to continue throughout the course of this episode to mix the names up 
Mini Metro, old Mini Motorways, new Metros and Motorways. They they make it very easy for you to get it to get it confused. And just call them subways and cars. <laughs> yes, subways. I really really like when I when I get to talking about this. Some of the thematic stuff, like a lot of people just have more affection for public transit than they do for building freeways. Me. So there's one. Yeah. But I'd like to talk about my experience with the first game a little bit and then kind of compare and contrast to the second game because I've had a lot of time now to get used to the new one. I was super excited about the new one when it came out because it's the same developer who made this game that I've continued to grow in my affection for over the years. There's not a lot of games that I'll stick with for like four years. And they improved the graphics. They brought on Disaster Piece for the soundtrack. And I thought the soundtrack was a big part of the original's appeal. This nice kind of music for airports kind of minimalist soundtrack. So my experience with the original has been an experience of like constantly feeling like I'm learning a little bit about the simulation. It's a simulation of building a metro line. And you start off with the map, which is in the appearance of a metro map. If you look at the pictures of the metro lines in New York, like the simplified images that you have that help you find your way through a metro system. Yeah, they um, they specifically call out Henry Beck, who did the London Underground map, and Massimo Vignelli, who did the NYC Transit map. So that really blank color, flat lines, where they don't exactly match the real shape of it might not look exactly like it would if you drew it on a, a real map, but they've got that simplified straight line look and feel. Yeah, and it's this simplified, iconic vision of a, of what a city is in terms of just people getting from point A to point B, from square to triangle to circle. And that part of it is really awesome. Like the UI is really great. You're just drawing lines with your fingertip to create these metro lines and uh, dragging and dropping cars onto the metro lines to help move passengers around. The passengers are all represented by shapes that match the kind of destination they're trying to get to. So there's the three main shapes, triangle, circle, and square. And every passenger who is a circle wants to get onto the metro line at their current stop and then get off at the next circle. So on for all the other shapes. They scale that up as the complexity goes. Your score is based on a rising count of the number of passengers who've traveled through your metro system. And then by the time the game starts to ramp up its complexity, when you get a, maybe a few hundred people who've gone through the system, they start introducing unique destinations, symbols that aren't a triangle, circle, or square, things like a diamond or a, a cross, and adds a little bit of complexity because now you have to have passengers moving across these different lines. So that's the basic game. There's a variety of different levels, each level representing a city. Mainly the cities differ from one another in the layout of their waterways. So you'll start off with London, which has the Thames, which zigzags across the map. Some of them will have a bay, different thing, or islands. And this will change your priority for some of the upgrades. The, the, the main upgrade that it changes the priority of is tunnels to go underneath the water. I think also bridges pop up in some places like New York. It's a game that gets things right at so many levels because it unites the sim game genre that has this legacy of things like SimCity, or cities skylines, or I don't know, there's a lot of them, transport tycoon that let you simulate these traffic flow patterns. And it feels like you're doing all these little traveling salesman pro problems while you constantly rebuild 
your metro system. Yeah, and if you haven't played either game, hopefully this will tell you what is good and bad about each. But I think for Mini Metro, the reason I loved it so much is it's it really is all about managing flow, but it takes a lot of really complicated stuff and it distills this down to like a super balanced core. So I loved playing cities that I knew well, places I'd visited, places that I'd lived, and really looking at the map and trying to make a subway system that worked for that city. I found it really interesting because the placement of the water, the um, density of a city, uh, the way that Tokyo has a high-speed train dropping a bunch of people off. It feels so tailored to the personality of that city. I felt like I knew them better after trying to you know, make a horrible map to suit their needs. And it's a bit like if you're a board game person, if you've played the Ticket to Ride in the United States and then you play Ticket to Ride Europe map, strategies are completely different. The U.S. is incredibly spread out. The railway lines need to be all over the place. The way you act on the East Coast is very different than the West Coast, whereas Europe, everything is very interconnected and you get the hub cities get too populous. Um, You can also think of Pandemic if you're familiar with that map. It's the same kind of feel where the geography of a region influences the mechanics of the gameplay. That geography sets a constraint and it it almost feels like a, a tourism in a way because if you are trying to do London, which is an extremely complicated map, you get to know a bit why a city might be messed up in a way, like why the Paris map feels kind of like an old map and then a modern map for the modern quarters. You, you, you know a bit more about that underlying geography. This is something that I, I've been to a couple transit museums and I've looked at maps and I've always been fascinated by how where people choose to live organically impacts public transit influences where people can live. I'm from Chicago, where we've had a lot of uh, interesting political stuff around which lines get updated and which don't. That has always been a really interesting layer. That said, I was still really excited when many motorways came out because I grew up in Houston, which is all about the freeways and all about the roads. And I wanted to know if that same extra layer of political city issues, which Again, it's not in the game. It's just something that the geography of like the way maps work, it kind of I, I was able to put it onto my experience in mini metro. Absolutely. Um, where people live geographically changes a lot about the way they live in accordance to like where they can move around. Well, I don't know much about global transit systems. I, I couldn't give you a picture of the New York City transit system, and that's maybe one of the ones I've had the most experience with. I live in a city with no metro whatsoever. We've added a light rail, and I think that's about the extent of it. I think I took a Sporkle quiz with pictures of transit systems of like 40, and I think I was able to see like like a name like maybe 16, wow. and I thought that was really good. But like if you asked me to identify Berlin or something, I would not yeah. get it. But, um, there are some real subway nerds out there who probably I'm, beat that. I am not a subway nerd. These were just places I've More so been. than me. Like these are just places I'd been and recognized like weird things, but like it's it's tough. Like there's not an one answer. And the, the real world problem of this is really interesting. Houston got itself, you know, my hometown here, got some nationwide press recently for having done a really innovative rework of their bus system mm-hmm. not that long ago. And so this is this is a solving a real problem. So that's where I think the the kind of 
going to use my um, game reviewer $10 word, ludonarrative consonants, is, is working well here. The play experience of building a transit system and the problem that you're solving of building efficiency into that system and working within the simulation all feels like it's working together. So this is a game like we, we talk about, you know, sim games from the very original sim game, SimCity, the leading sim game genre has always had a point of view or an educational element to it, to the point where there's actually a really interesting article from after the success of SimCity. I didn't know about this, but Maxis created their own business division called Business Simulations that made sims of refineries and the U.S. healthcare system. I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. But so you do feel like you're learning something about the real world through through sim games when they're good. You're building on realistic systems in a way that kind of scratches that itch of maybe city building. There are lots of reasons people will play a game like this. And Mini Metro has an endless mode or a creative mode built into it now. That's a nice addition from when I first started playing it. For those people who play these games more for their relaxing, building a garden kind of elements. Yeah, and if you're trying to go for strict accuracy, there's um, some really interesting articles we'll link in the show notes from uh, Metro planners kind of reviewing the game, uh, kind of like how we had Heaven's Vaults and we talked about linguists reviewing. They, of course, know it's simplified, but they they did add an extreme mode where your subway lines are permanent. But they also say, like, if you really want it to feel like a simulation, you think of it as bus lines, because bus lines can be picked up and moved immediately, but if you keep running the same one and you take a really old existing one, it will cause problems. But I think it's, we keep talking about the real world part of this game because it does make you kind of, you're playing this very relaxing sim game and you're feeling empathy towards the metro planners of your city or you're thinking about how hard this is as a problem while you're doing it. Even if you're not exactly simulating it, just a SimCity makes you feel bad for city planners. This makes you feel bad for metro planners. That said, I'm super excited about this game that gamifies, I usually hate that word, but I think it's accurate here, but gamifies public transit problems. So Money Motorways comes out and I am super excited. It comes out for Apple Arcade and I'm really was hype about it because I I don't know the problems of streets, of, of cars nearly as well. So I, I, I looked at this as an opportunity to learn those problems. However, it didn't really stick with me. And I, I think it's really interesting why. I've been kind of digging into that. At first, I was all in on mini motorways. And in fact, I think we came up on a making us happy this week for the show at some point. And I think I, I gushed about how much I loved it at that point. But Mini Motorways takes a lot of the design of the original and improves on it in a lot of ways. It's graphically really interesting. It's like a um, Google Maps. Like it, 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 yeah. It's enriched maps. Yes, it's not there's an interesting kind of AI element to the individual drivers that I don't think is present in the, the first game. They have, they have kind of become their own individual actors and seeing them pile up in traffic jams is interesting. Mm-hmm. And musically, also, the original had a great little score, but the new one has a score by Disasterpiece, who I'm a big fan of. So I actually really like the sound of, of Mini Motorways. Unfortunately, 
in the design of the actual simulation and gameplay, I think it loses all of the game design polish that it originally had. And I have never encountered a game whose design problems were so buried on the first play. The design issues that I have with mini motorways are all very hidden under the surface. And once I saw all of them, they ultimately served to ruin the game experience for me. And I no longer enjoy mini motorways. And so I thought that was a really interesting issue and something that would be worth talking about here on the show. When doing research for this, because I also bounced off mini motorways, and but not as I didn't play as long to articulate it. I started doing some research and there are articles about mini metro going on for years about the design and the depth and all these different pieces of people playing it over time. Mini motorways got a, some initial launch publicity, but it did not get that long term effect. And I wasn't sure if it was because it was a sequel or because people were finding one or two of these design issues that were keeping it from being quite as sticky. Uh, I just haven't seen the same love for it. And, and I don't think that's always true, that the first game gets the most attention. So this might be the only time. I have not seen anyone else articulate these specific design issues other than people who said the theme of suburbs, not as interesting as the theme of cities to them true. personally. It does feel a little dystopian at times. Um I'd um, like to start by talking about what you're actually doing in this game and how mm -hmm. the simulation works, because yeah. I don't think we've spoken about that yet. In Mini Motorways, you start off very similarly to how you do in Mini Metro. You have a open plane on which your buildings, your origins and destinations are going to start popping up. And the biggest difference is instead of having stops represented by different shapes, you have just two kinds of buildings and they're all each different colors, right? So you have a, uh, a house that looks like a little house and that is where cars are going to begin and end their trip. And then you have the game I think calls them parking lots, but really they just look like malls. So that already, um, side note, adds to kind of the dystopian appearance of this game, which is imagine a cityscape that is nothing but houses and malls randomly peppered across a landscape. It's kind of kind of gross. That's what <laughs> but, I said uh, was dystopian. <laughs> yes. The parking lots that are your destinations will accept only cars that they share a color with. So you'll have red houses, red malls, blue houses, blue malls. And the demand for cars at these different destinations goes up and down a little, or I think, or maybe just goes up, but it goes up unevenly. And they'll get these little Google Maps pins on them to represent the demand for a car. So you as the player are watching these little houses pop up and you are connecting the houses to the destinations with roadways. So this is where I ran into the first design issues, probably the one that is most apparent. And it's not a big deal, but whereas in Mini Metro, you're just dragging and drawing, in Mini Motorways, Editing the roadways is modal. You're tapping to go into an editing mode and then tapping to come out of it. And that is that is instantly not as smooth as what you're getting in Mini Metro. In, in both of these games, I should say, you're running a clock that goes for a week. And at the end of every week, you are getting an upgrade. In Mini Metro, you immediately get a new train that can run on your lines. And you can place that wherever you like to alleviate some congestion. And then you get a choice between 
two possible choices out of a variety of different upgrades that will include in Mini Metro things like new tunnels to help you make your lines go through water, which is the main obstacle, new lines to allow you to build out new areas, reducing the number of stops on any given line, which is a good strategy. And I think what the third one is uh, new cars to make your trains bigger to allow them to accommodate more passengers and again, alleviate congestion. In many motorways, those upgrades are, oh, and I forgot what I think is the most important one in mini metro, the transit center or the mm, hub, the hub, which allows you to have a single stop that can act as a kind of a hub system because I don't believe we've mentioned how you lose these games, which is if any individual stop becomes so overloaded that your network is basically shutting down, you've lost the game. So having a hub or transit center stop allows it to have many, many more passengers waiting at that place. And it also accelerates the speed at which trains load and unload at that stop. Practically instantly, the trains are able to load and unload passengers there. So those are those upgrades. The upgrades in the to your transit system are things like adding a motorway, which allows you to have a quick path from one part of the map to another. Motorways mm -hmm. are easy to place and you put an entrance and exit and then cars can easily zip over top of the rest of your network in a big overpass. Uh, that's, that's a great upgrade. The other upgrades include more road, which you know, you're limited on the amount of road tiles you can place. And traffic lights. Useless. I want to get to that. <laughs> Figuring out that traffic lights are essentially useless. Takes time. Exposes one of my biggest issues with with mini motorways, which is just that the that fundamentally the, the design doesn't want you to play in a way that leads to a good play experience or, or a good simulation. I think that simulations are inherently opinionated. So either you make something that is incredibly messy but works, which tells you one thing about the underlying system is simulating, or you manage to get something pretty elegant that works, which says like there is an answer. And simulations that don't fall in, like simulations that have completely nonsensical stuff because that's the way the game wants you to work is when I start seeing like, that's when the, there were some versions of SimCity where like you could make weird disconnected suburbs and put a nuclear power plant there and fuel your city. It's kind of like in Sims when you could have a wall with a phone on it and nine people living there and and just like no house and that would work well. Like when you kind of had these hacky things, like that's when it feels more like a game and less like a simulation to me. Those things are what yeah. maybe I, I started feeling the edges of that in many motorways a little more. You're hitting it on the head right there because thinking about the original SimCity, the core element of that game to me was creating a balance between residential, industrial, and commercial space. Mm -hmm. And... Those different kinds of spaces had an effect on each other. You didn't want to put your residential too close to the industrial because it would lower the property values. It's creating this kind of balance between these different elements that are designed to mimic the real world. And that's what makes a good sim game. And when that breaks down... Yeah, there's no opinion in the game, but, but just because it's telling you like these are the economic factors, you start gathering your own opinions about what works and what doesn't in a, in a city. Yeah, it sense. has a gameplay perspective on the real world, right? 
Yes, and that's a good way to put it. The game here has something like that. But if this game is trying to say something about roads and cars in the same way that the original feels like it's trying to say something about the efficiency of metros, it really doesn't put a lot of effort into saying it. One of the nice things about the original is that it's really clear what your goal is uh, and you're, and doing well on that goal leads to a high score because ultimately your score is how many passengers move efficiently through your network. And mm -hmm. in the new game, in Mini Motorways, getting a high score, I have found, depends on using strategies that totally break down the idea of what a city really is or what cars do or what roads are. For example, the number one, if you go to the big Reddit thread that's like looking for mini motorways tips, number one is don't connect all the houses. Don't connect the houses to the streets. <laughs> don't connect the houses to the streets is the number one yes. tip. And I. That's the biggest issue. So it makes what the game I think ideally would like you to be doing in terms of simulating a, a real city would be building a transit network with maybe a nice grid system and having that grid system improve its efficiency through the use of traffic lights and clever bypasses and, and the motorways to move people from one subsection to another. And that would be, that's great up until maybe a few hundred points. Like you can make that work. But if you want to raise your, your score in the way that you can in the original, you have to start breaking that down. And, and the biggest thing that you're wrestling with is the random placement of the buildings. So the first thing that kind of breaks that simulation is you'll find pretty quickly, I sure found, that a badly placed building can totally wreck your game. And how do you stop buildings from being placed badly? Well, you can use roads to clear spaces of the map because you can place and remove the roads instantly. One of the smartest things to do at the very first moment of the game is to put roadways around your buildings in such a way that new buildings won't spawn in and wreck your plans for future streets. It's hard to explain this in audio, but you wind up with a map that looks like it's cross-hatched with random roads that do nothing. It's just tiles that you, you sink down and basically you're reserving the yes, space. Yes, you're basically... It feels more like terraforming almost. Like you're like saying, please don't build Actually here. reserving the space would be brilliant. Like if you were able to reserve it like you do in SimCity where you block out and say, this is going to be zoned for commercial having that kind of ability in this game would be phenomenal. That would be a great upgrade for them to add. But you're not zoning it. You're just No, you're just literally there. So like it, you're just and yeah. the the developers are are it's thinking, oh, I guess I can't put a building it, here because there's this random 30-foot long road that's been dropped here instantly out of nowhere. And then later on, you know, clearing those roads when you need the tiles back and stuff. So that strategy goes entirely against what you're trying to simulate, but it's incredibly efficient. So it, it, the, the simulation wants you to do this. I, I found this strategy on my own. And then as I found other people online playing this game, like that is the high score strategy. So that's the first big issue I have. Building roads into nowhere is a problem, but it's also back to that. Like, what is the theme of this game? Like the fact that you can, you don't have to connect houses. Like you just have to connect stores. Like, is that a thing that the developers meant to be a judgment? Like that? stores matter more than people or is that just something that happened and it's just they didn't close that loophole it's in a game in mini metro i would know that that was a design choice i don't feel as confident in that in mini 
motorways. It's possible. I, I feel like it's more emergent. It could be a design choice, but because there's also the weird tile I thing. I hadn't heard it put in that way. Because like, I, I think you, you, when you say stores matter more than people, I think that is a perspective that could be that could be buried in this game and 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 pushed a little bit. But like but, I said, if that's the perspective that, that doesn't, yeah. that's not expressed in the gameplay because the way you're expressing that is through like something that feels like a hack trying to wrestle with the RNG nature of the building spawns. It feels like a loophole. It feels like you're going against the game. And if that was part of the game's opinion about cities, then it's unclear. Mm. It's muddled. It's a little bit hazy. And I wanted more clarity. Mm. I want the mechanics to be a little clearer in what they're trying to say in a sim game. So the second thing that really threw me in this is that as you get a strategy to get a high score on these games, you start to reevaluate some of the upgrades that you get. You already start off with fewer upgrades than you, different kinds of upgrades than you have in, in Mini Metro, because one of the main upgrades that you frequently want is just more roads. Every time it would normally in the first game give you another car, it's giving you just 20 road tiles. And then frequently the second upgrade that you really want is just 20 more road tiles. So you can spam your roads everywhere and further control the spawns. But the upgrade that really cinched this for me as a as a game that has design flaws or challenges, I'll put it that way, is the traffic lights. A simulation of a city's transit network is going to have traffic lights. And we have to talk a little bit about the AI of the cars in order for you to understand why I have a complaint about the traffic lights. One of the coolest things about this is the little cars that zip from the origin points, the houses, to the destinations, the malls, and then back. And each one has a little tiny bit of AI on a nice straight drive. They'll speed up on a curvy road. They'll slow down. They'll get into traffic jams with each other that, that'll cause roads to back up in interesting ways. So all of this is a cool way to show how a transit network full of independent actors can work. Every little car has its own little AI, which is really neat. When you first start building a transit network that involves a lot of roadways crossing each other, these cars will sit at an intersection wait for it to be safe before they proceed. And so you'd think, okay, well, let's just drop in some traffic lights. So traffic lights are seemingly designed for those places where you have two roads meeting at a right angle. And the cars yeah. are going to have to alternate to pass each other safely. By the way, these cars are perfect safe drivers. They never uh, drive unsafely and they never hit each other at these unprotected intersections or anything like that. This game is not does not commute. However, if you are looking for an awesome uh, driving sim game, try don't, yeah, does, no, not does not commute is awesome. Actually, it came out the year the same year as uh, Mini Metro hit PC originally. So it was a uh, twenty fifteen, I think, and that's a great game. So thanks, thanks for calling that out. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but but in that one, you break the law yes. a lot. This one, there's no breaking the law. Um, <laughs> so on these on these roads. The traffic lights seem designed for a play pattern that does not lead to good games or good scores in the games, I guess you should say. Traffic lights improve the efficiency of cars passing each other in the in these right angle intersections a little bit. But in a lot of cases, in a lot of places where you'd think you'd want to use them, they actually slow things down because now cars are waiting for a green light. So I stopped using them entirely. 
I only use these in occasions when people would get stuck, like it, it, because sometimes people would avoid traffic light intersections. So I almost use them as a blocker mm -hmm. to try to encourage people to take other routes. But that's not a great strategy. <laughs> and in high scoring games, like if you look up high scoring games on YouTube for this game, you'll find that no one ever uses traffic lights, which I think in a game that's about controlling traffic is a problem. You want all Meaningful. upgrades to be yeah. useful. Or or to have a meaningful way to do a high score with Absolutely. that upgrade. Like it should be um, it should be relevant for, for like the playstyle that your scoring system is trying to encourage. The traffic lights seem like they are designed mm -hmm. for the more simulation y playstyle. There there shouldn't be a sim uh, a building a pretty city playstyle and a high score playstyle, in my opinion. Like if you're gonna have a score system on your game, it should encourage the there should be a single <laughs> There should be a single play style. Maybe that's my maybe my opinion is wrong there. I know there are lots of reasons why someone might play a game like this, but having having a whole upgrade basically be pointless if you're if you're trying to play a successful game that reaches a, a score that you know where you want to attack the score um, seems wrong to me. For example, Nate and I discovered Good Job, and in Good Job you can play very quickly and break a ton of stuff and get a good score, or you can be very careful and take your time and get a good score. They, they've balanced the game that if you want to be a chaos monkey or an order monkey, the game will still be fun, and you yeah. can still get a high score. And if you do kind of a middle ground, that's when you have more variability in scores, because that's how most people will play. But you can optimize in either direction. This game feels like it wanted to optimize for, again, it's more unclear what the intention is of the designer, what they wanted to encourage. The final big issue I have is that you're constantly wrestling the AI of the little cars in this way. And th things that normally you would think would influence the behavior of cars like traffic lights don't do it. Ultimately, what you have to do is build a bunch of really tiny independent traffic networks that are all a single color and wrestle the spawning of buildings in such a way that it spawns those in a way that your traffic network can support. So try to force the buildings to spawn in a way that you can connect pockets of red cars to red buildings, pockets of yellow cars to yellow buildings, pockets of blue cars to blue buildings, and don't have different col colors of car on the same road. Even though those roads are literally right on top of each other, being overlapped with each other with the motorways that, that let you zip cars across the map. It feels so dystopian. <laughs> You're really saying city isolate, like red people only associate with red people, blue people only associate with blue. But that's how the, like, that's what works in the game. It's the opposite of Mini Metro, where they really want, like, constant flowing of sharing lines temporarily, where, like, multiple colors share an artery for a bit before they branch off. Like, in this one, it's completely isolated network. Seems mm -hmm. to be what works the best. It makes me feel bad. It really feels like they lost a little bit of what made their game good. And also, to this point, there are a lot of cities, and they've added more cities over time to Mini Motorways. But the cities share, I think a, a shared problem is that many of the cities feel mostly the same. But it's exacerbated here by the fact that there's a really low level of challenge implied in the game. Every city has one achievement, which is to get a score of 250 points, which is pretty darn easy to do. I think on I got the first three cities on the first try and then the rest of the cities that were available at launch within you know a few dozen tries once I'd 
wrangled the spawning mechanic and figured out how to how to force the spawns. When I'm going for a high score, my maps are ugly as shit. <laughs> and neither game was able to have a truly elegant, beautiful map. But I, I felt in Mini Metro that was more on me mm-hmm. slash the city than um, the game. I actually think that you can so. have a beautiful and functional high score map in Mini Metro because- Oh, I, yeah, I am completely assured. The, the tip can. I have for that is that every line should contain as few stops as possible to make it efficient. And it should aim to have all the three main shapes, triangle, circle, and square on every line so that they don't mm-hmm. have to transit those basic shapes off to other lines. And then you want to have a central hub where you can use that really beautiful upgrade piece, the interchange. Mm -hmm. And then you want to try to spread the unique shapes out onto individual lines where possible. And if you do that, and you have all these smaller, efficient lines that do local transit of triangle, circle, and square connected to a central hub where you can move those unique shapes around, you can get a very efficient and very beautiful kind of flower petal-like transit system that is going to work until you're no longer able to shuffle the cars around efficiently enough. Uh, And then you start moving the cars around as as the different passengers appear and and, and those challenges. So that's great to that. It's just funny to me that that is... In the new game. Well, it's the opposite strategy because the you're talking about this shared line system is really what what works the best is so that anyone can get to anywhere like you can start at any point want to go anywhere yeah minimizing the number of train changes that those things that do have to come go the whole way across the map like the little cross shape appears and it it should only have to change trains once you got to get to the hospital fast again i'm attributing crosses hospital it might not Mm -hmm. actually be real but like you got to get that person all the way to the hospital You got to get to the airport, these kind of one-off trips. Maybe it was that I spent too much time in mini metro with that kind of single line taking on a diverse number of spots that these really isolated pockets felt much sadder to me. Also, maybe it's just like when it came out, I think I was expecting it to, I don't know, I've, as we keep saying, I grew up in Houston. I know that Ching currently lives there, but there, there are you know, I had people all over the city I was visiting. I wasn't necessarily like just wanting to hang out with the the red stores, man. Uh, it just feels a little bit more like isolation is not the kind of game I want to spend time with. That said, I love Mini Metro, and I think love Mini Metro. Go go play Mini Metro is the lesson here. It's it's a game that is now five years old, and it's better than ever. It's a great game. Like money, polish, and like a new idea didn't necessarily result in a better game. It's really interesting from a design standpoint to play mini motorways because most of the stuff that Shane and I spent the whole episode talking about, you have to play several times before you start seeing this stuff. It has a really nice polished exterior. I just feel like most of the reviews maybe didn't play that long or played initially and might have had a glowing or a middling review of it. But the more you play, the the more the the depth of Mini Metro, the consistency of Mini Metro is something that I've been really pleased at. I play it like, I'd say I play a new city every time I 
play and it's maybe six months apart, <laughs> I'll go dip in and play Tokyo because it feels like a different game. It feels like a new, like it feels like an expansion pack to a board game <laughs> where the expansion pack has changed the game. That's what new maps feel like in Mini Metro. Mini Motorways, those other cities don't feel as different. So it feels more like just playing another level in the same game. One last thing, since I feel like we've been a little down on Mini Motorways and I want to uh, talk about one extra perk of Mini Metro. And this is from a dev quote. They said that one thing we hear often is that by playing Mini Metro, people have gained an appreciation for the difficulties that their city's metro planners have and that they don't mind the odd delay to their commute as much as they used to. It's a pretty good feeling to have added a little empathy to the world. It feels weird to be looking at a subway map of New York City while I'm quarantined in my apartment, but it, I did go play the New York map. And it was really fun to kind of remember trips. And it, it's kind of a nostalgic thing. I think it was originally designed for people to play on commutes, but it can be almost like a passive way of re-experiencing a city from standing still. So that's my like weird quarantine, very dated take on why you might want to play Mini Metro now. I don't think it's going to make you sad because it's not like a Google Maps experience where you're zooming through buildings you can't go to, but it does kind of make you feel connected to a place you know well. If any of the cities match a city you know well, I'd suggest playing them just because it's nostalgic in a way that I think is not depressing, which is a uh, very specific take on why you should play Mini Metro in quarantine. I have some hopes for going back to Mini Motorways eventually. I've seen some comments from someone from Dinosaur Polo Club when some points similar to mine were raised on Reddit for each of these games that I checked out. And they're looking at ways to change some of the upgrades or maybe add additional upgrades like a roundabout or a yield sign which I think would really improve the issues that I have, especially around the use of the traffic light. I thought it was an interesting chance to compare two games. We don't really cover games that we don't like much on this show, so I hope I haven't dragged down the positive and enthusiastic tone of the show. But hey, Reagan's not on this episode, so I get to I get to be a little hateful gremlin if I want. <laughs> well, honestly, I think it's fascinating why the game doesn't work. And I think it's worth playing as an educational experience. If you haven't played either, just play Mini Metro. But if right. you've played Mini Metro and want to be able to better articulate why you like the first game, that alone is a good reason to check out Mini Motorways, especially if you already have an Apple Arcade subscription. You can get Mini Metro on the App Store or Google Play Store. On the App Store, it's $3.99. On the Google Play Store, it's $0.99. Cents. You lucky Android users, you. It's also available on desktop and console for the full price of $9.99. Uh, I definitely recommend playing this game on mobile. It's the best on a tablet. Mini Motorways right now is only available on Apple Arcade for a $4.99 subscription, but it's very soon coming to Steam. So if you do want to check this out without an Apple Arcade subscription, you should be able to check that out on Steam pretty darn soon. We have a little segment that we like to do especially on episodes where I am down on a game, so I can leave you guys with a positive, light, refreshing note. We have a section called Making Us Happy This Week, the elegantly titled section where we tell you what's making us happy this week. And uh, I guess I'll go first. Mm -hmm. This week, around the end of last week, I spent my... Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to say I was able to spend my stimulus check on 
something that I needed to replace, but was not food or rent. So my privilege here is I was able to buy a new television. Yes, so I, I finally got rid of my old and busted TV and upgraded to a new OLED LG TV. And it's not just the TV itself that's making me happy, although the beautiful clear picture is making me happy as I use it to watch uh, movies and whatnot. There's this weird thing on LG TVs that I just have to say, it's I, the sort of thing I did not expect to like, and I have wound up getting a lot of enjoyment out of. And that is, it has a really good broadcast tuner built into it that has the guide and stuff like that. And into that, they add something called LG Channels or LG Channels Plus. Mm -hmm. So imagine basically having your TV tuner that has all your basic local channels in a nice pretty interface where you can see the guide and, and info on the different programs and stuff like that. And I do like that. I like to have a tuner so I can tune into local news and things like that. But now add to that a bunch of internet channels in the same UI so that you can kind of channel surf through it. And the LG channels are powered by something called Zumo that's basically an aggregator for live streaming content. But now in my channel surfing, I can surf through my local channels, hit that local news, see the reruns of Touched by an Angel on whatever. <laughs> and there's also all of these weird specific channels for things that you would never have a broadcast channel for. Some of the ones that I've really found that I liked are there's one that's just riff tracks. If you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, there actually is already a local TV channel that does reruns of MST3K. And I sometimes would tune in for those. There's a local channel called Comet that, that does that. But the Riff Tracks channel, which is now channel 317 on my TV, is nothing but the original cast of MST3K doing new movies, basically. And they're just running these old sci-fi and horror movies, old B-movies, and making jokes over them. Fantastic. I don't know if I've ever talked about my love of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on this show, but I, I do love it. I've always loved it. And they have its, it has its own channel on my TV now, basically. There's other channels for movies. Like there's several movie channels broken down by genre and being able to just kind of surf through those in those times where you're just zoning out. Channel surfing has an appeal that I feel is lost in the current streaming climate. I am a cord cutter and I miss that serendipity of like not having to decide what's on because there's you can just kind of look through and grab whatever I only get that at the gym now. So mm -hmm. There's also a public television kids programming channel, which to me as a parent is very, very useful. Uh, that one actually is a broadcast channel, but all my broadcast channels are now blended with these IP channels. Uh, and there's another one I found I really like that's basically Vivo mu for music videos. So it's, it's like MTV used to be where oh. it's just music videos and they come through digitally. So they're all nice HD. It's, it's all really neat. So going back to channel surfing is probably my thing that's making me happy this week. I, I feel like it's probably boring for me to list off other channels that I've found that I like, but there's one that's like just zoos doing animal stuff and all sorts of stuff like that. Most useful to me, there's a set of channels that are just news with no ads. Mm. This weird discovery of LG Channels Plus is 
my thing that's making me happy this week. And really just generally the concept of channel surfing. That is lovely. I also have a TV recommendation, but my stuff's all on YouTube. Justin and I have been watching so much of the British quiz show called Only Connect. It is known as one of the most brutally difficult quiz shows (laughs) because the whole semblance is that each round you're trying to find connections between stuff. For example, in the finals, they had Take On Me, Super Mario 64, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, and Mary Poppins. And when we got the second one, Super Mario 64, Justin yelled at the TV, jumping into paintings, jumping into paintings. (laughs) The connection between it is those are four things that you jump into paintings. (laughs) <laughs> and we were just yelling at this this team, which was um, we had been rooting for because they were like the young millennial team and they were clearly having a lot of fun with it. We're there like, are so man. few experiences that are as satisfying as watching something like a quiz show or something and knowing the answer before the people on the TV do and just shouting it into the void. That's so wonderful. And the thing is, this show is unique because it's all about connections and lateral thinking. So you might not be at all smarter than these people. But if you happen to recognize the music piece or you happen to know what characters Sandra Bullock played in Speed or the connections are wild. They're all over the place. Like it might be things left on the moon or like posters on the wall in Shawshank Redemption or it might be a math joke or like these are all things named after Euler. The other thing is we get to give ourselves a pass because we're not British. So occasionally there will be four names that we have never heard of. And we're just like, probably British stuff. And then we kind of, you know, take a sip. But it's always interesting and brutally hard. You might be four things. I'll be like, oh, these are all people and the amount of money they're said to have burned. Why would you know that? But someone on the show will know that it is fiercely interesting, very entertaining and The thing I didn't know about the show but love is it's a bracket style. So you get to know the teams. They always introduce themselves with fun facts that they never explain. So you know the worst thing about Jeopardy is when Alex Trebek has a thing that sounds interesting about a person and then he interviews them about them and it turns out to be really boring. On this show, someone will say like, this person once almost got run over by Mahatma Gandhi and then they won't... (laughs) say a damn thing about that story. (laughs) They'll just keep going and talk about something else. It's called, again, Only Connect. Fiercely nerdy. One of the best things in it is there's a wall of 16 things and you have to put them in four groups of four. Trying to solve the wall is always very interesting. Sometimes it might be like, you can add the word pet after all of these words and make new words. Sometimes it's stuff that's impossible. Unlike other quiz shows, I never feel like I'm supposed to get it. But I always feel like a genius when I do get it. Anyway, Only Connect, super hard to the point that any answers I get make me feel smart. And I think that's why I love it. Plus, all these people are super nerdy and proud of it. There's no prize. There's literally no prize for winning this. It's incredible. What are you doing this for? (laughs) (laughs) Like you put yourself through hell and you keep going back to Cardiff and there's no prize at the end. It's just like a little trophy. It's not even like Bake Off when you get like a big cake pan like you just get a little one trophy for your team to split not to mention that each round ends in the sudden death round where it's just words with all the vowels missing and you have to guess what the words are um <laughs> do they have like, to do a lot of discussion around these puzzles because these seem because they're so lateral thinkingy that there'd yeah. have to be a lot of showing your work and discussing your thoughts on things 
the first round, you have four clues. The second one, you have three clues. You have to guess which one comes next. But the idea is your team is discussing among themselves and they're kind of half whispering in their mic so you can hear them and they have a guess. And if they miss it, the other team gets a chance to name it for a single point. So you can see it when they get it. People will guess random stuff. The discussions are always super interesting because someone might be like, is it a word thing? Is it a number thing? Someone will yell the word palindromes. And you're like, oh, it is palindromes. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> and this is usually when we know when it's fair to duck out because if we hear the words cricket or football, we're like, oh, we're not going to get this answer <laughs> because it's like <laughs> because we, we have no knowledge of British culture. They'll be like, ah, these are all people on Strictly. And you're like, cool. I don't watch Strictly Come Dancing because I'm from the United States. But yeah, the discussions are some of the most interesting stuff. And I think that's when we decide if we like love a team is the way they react. One example, the there were four pictures of women in musicals. It was a picture of Marilyn Monroe and a gentleman preferred blondes. Uh, a picture of Natalie Wood in West Side Story, a picture of Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and someone else. And it was people who were lip synced by Marty Nixon or like people who didn't sing the part. And the they discussed it. And the way the guy said it was these actresses moved their lips while Marnie Nixon sang. And I just thought that was the funniest, like shadiest answer. Only Connect is delightful. It's hard. There's way too much of it on YouTube and you can watch a season and follow teams, which makes you feel like you've done something when you've just watched like 29 episodes of a quiz show from another country. Magnificent. It is magnificent. Well, I am going to go and take off and try to tune in to IPTV, the Titanic channel. Yes, a channel devoted entirely to the sinking of the Titanic. Oh, and wow. I will I will catch up with you all a little bit later on. So thank uh, you for bearing with our very long that's making us happy. We were very excited to share those things with you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. If you are interested in giving us feedback, you can email us at our form on our website, theshortgame.net. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at underscore short game or leave us a review on itunes which really helps us be seen by other people and we really appreciate that uh shame where can people find you you can also find us on our discord which is open for people who have contributed even just a single dollar a month on our patreon you can come and join our discussion there which is where I got this idea for this episode in the first place. You can find me on the internet at Laura J. Nash. So visit at Laura J. Nash if you want more Laura content, mm-hmm. which you should. Been a little sparse recently, but it's, it's coming back. All that said, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Short Game. Better, 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 better.